Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Talk Recorded live. Hey, welcome to another episode of the WCBBN. It's the Wildlife Control Business Builder Network. Uh, my name is Kevin Dan. Today's date is April 6, 2016. Tonight's show is on uh, Terror of the Sky. Uh, I, I like to say my name is Kevin Dan. I'm owner-operator of Wild Catch Nuisance Animal Control out of northeastern Michigan. Uh, our motto is, you call, we do it all. Uh, also, I have a co-host, Will. How you doing tonight, Will? Well, the busy season has started. I'm being worn out daily. I don't know about everybody else, but... The weather is moving in, except for rain here today. This is Will Langman. For all who don't know, I'm owner-operator of Langman's Wildlife and Pest Control in west-central Indiana, east-central Illinois. And uh, (laughs) I'm just kicking ass down here, guys. (laughs) But tonight we've got a couple of great guests on. We've got Keith Markham. Go ahead and say hi, Keith. (laughs) Howdy. He's down in Georgia at the moment, but apparently he's planning to move further north. So we'll get into that a little bit later. We also have... From the great north, we've finally gone international. We have Richard Swallow in. <laughs> hey, everybody. How you doing today? Uh, if anybody catches any accents, yes, he's from Canada. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, uh, how about you, Keith? We'll start with you. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your business that you have. Uh, it's Bigfoot Wildlife Control out of Atlanta and north Georgia in the mountains. Um Primarily flying squirrels up here, uh, bats, gray squirrels, you know, lots and lots of mice. We're in the middle of the woods. Um, and then my guys down in Atlanta deal with lots and lots of rats down there because it's Atlanta. Um, ben Man's business owns this business for going on nine years now and in the industry for about 12, I believe. Um, and getting ready to make a big move. This summer, actually, going up to Minnesota. So the Bigfoot company will no longer be mine. It's going to be a friend of mine. Still moving on. I did get a little bit of money, um, but it's all going into other things. (laughs) Nice. You're not just shutting down and moving. then. You're just passing it on. (laughs) Yes, just passing along. Uh, It's a good brand, good reviews. Uh, You know, clients are all happy and... uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have wanted to shut it down anyways. And uh, one of my friends who's worked with me for the past few years offered a uh, lump sum before I even put anything out on the table to anybody. And uh, who better to 
take over the reins and somebody that's been working with me, you know, for the last couple of years. So went ahead and moved. Now he'll be actually moving up in my neck of the woods in North Georgia. Um, and hopefully he's trained his crews good enough in Atlanta now to where he can do both just like I did. Nice. Yeah, I know down in that area, you guys, I think there's a friggin' operator in every county or five or six in each county or something. Yeah, every every year there seems to be a handful that come up and uh, another handful that, you know, bite the bullet, kick the bucket, so to speak. It's happening everywhere. Well, let's go to the great north where it's probably snowing still. How's it going up there, Rich? Hey, it's going great, guys. Oh, well, Actually, that was a little uh, corporation, call it. <laughs> well, we don't got any snow up here right now. We've had a fantastic, just a beautiful winter with this El Nino. Everybody's been calling it. it just, just real mild temperatures and super, uh, you know, enjoying it. So we've had no snow up here for about a month, month and a half already. We're pretty blessed, but. Um, my company, as few of you guys know in the groups, are called is called Riva. That's R-I-V-A. Uh, specialized Cleaning Services and Pigeon Control. Uh, we're basically um, bird control exclusivity. Uh, we don't bother with a lot of pests and rodents. We exclusively provide bird control. And about 90% of what we do up here is with pigeons. We do some gulls and ravens and uh, you know, we've done some quite a bit of migratory swallow exclusions, but uh, at the end of the day, we pride ourselves on our our knowledge and, and the understanding with uh, with pest birds. Uh, been in the business here for going on. I've been doing the uh, bird control for about five years. Our company has been incorporated for about four, um, and we're just we're having lots of fun. There's not a lot of uh, not a lot of competition up here per se other than the national pest control companies, but they seem to seem to struggle with providing, uh, you know, correct uh, bird control, you know, um, solutions for clients. I would classify them pest control, not wildlife control. <laughs> of course, I think most of us all feel that way about certain national companies, too. <laughs> yeah, no, the, you know, there's, there's two or three uh, national uh, up here companies, and, very limited with the you know the bird uh, control aspect that they bring to their clientele. Number one, we've only got just over 1.1 million people in our province of Saskatchewan here, so uh, you know not a big market share for the large companies to move in and spend a lot of money on bringing techs in. But you know we've uh, we're covering the entire province. We did some work down in Ontario and Thunder Bay, and did some work. We got a big job booked up there in Edmonton, Alberta, in the next couple of months. So. You know, we're making hay, and uh, things are going well. We're really enjoying it. Hey, man, it sounds like you guys are just keeping busy. I, I'm telling you, man, we're all in, living in the wrong spot, apparently. <laughs> but, hey, since we're talking birds, I know we've had several people that requested Richard to talk work. So uh, I'm trying to think of a hypothetical here or something. I mean, what's your average pigeon job? I mean, what, what are you looking at here for your average job? How do you handle some pigeon control? I know I've talked to you about a few. Yeah, no, basically, you know, we've generated a real nice network of business relationships. And from the very start, I was out pounding the pavement, making connections and doing the networking uh, to make the connections, just driving around, looking in the sky, looking on the ground for the bird, 
you know, the bird dung. And, and uh, once I found it, I would go and just connect with that manager, business owner. And we've really grown over the last little while. So when I, after I've done an initial introduction to the client, I'm going to, you know, request to do a, a site assessment of the environment. And I get there, I spend lots of time, I get lots of photos and video of that environment. And then I'm, then I go and I sit in front of my computer. My, you know, my average proposal uh, is between, you know, 10 to 20 pages. And I usually divide it up where I have a gallery PDF file, and then I've got my documentation file. So um, that allows me to break it up a bit. And we usually, we introduce a three-stage program. Your trapping, your cleanup, and then your exclusion. Um, you know, a lot of companies, they don't have the tools and the knowledge into doing the, the proper cleanup and sanitization of areas. So before we got into bird control, we had a very busy mobile commercial industrial pressure washing business for about six years prior. So I've got that uh, cleaning aspect and the tools and chemistry, you know, uh, I've got great experience in that aspect of the of the jobs that we do um, and just learning the actual bird control aspect. I got training through Bird Barrier. They've been real, real help to us, and I reached out to some good mentors. And man, if you're getting into bird work, you really want to find some mentors that can sort of, you know, you can connect with from time to time. Um, you know, when I'm looking at a bird job, I, you know, we, we always want to do a trap. You know, or if, I'm speaking specifically about pigeons here, but you, know, you want to get into a trapping program. My programs minimum six months. I usually like to push them 12 months, depending on how many birds are in the environment. Um, once we've started initiate the trapping program, then we'll introduce the cleanup, and then we do the pro- we implement the right solutions and exclusions, whether it's netting, spike, shock strip. You know, visual. We do some visual deterrents. Uh, I'm not keen on on audio deterrents really, but uh, I use some visuals to to you know um, accompany and you know finish off some big exclusion jobs we've done. I don't. Has anybody ever seen those audio things actually work? <laughs> I don't know how many I've pulled down from places. <laughs> what the, what the, what it comes down to is, you know, you get you get people and they'll go and they'll install an audio deterrent, expecting it to work when they haven't done any other any other solutions. Uh, I I will use an audio deterrent as a support mechanism with my already reduced flock by netting my spikes when I've reduced that flock by about 80 to 90 percent so once once I've achieved uh you know a flock reduction of you know 80 to 90 percent then I can go and I can put in my proper exclusions and I will use visual and audio deterrents as a support only to the already existing structures that I've implemented and and put installed nice well what how about we take the bird proposals and everything to something that's a little bit more universal, probably everybody could do, like a like your average storefront, the signs. I mean, you're just full of birds, starlings, pigeons, you name it. What do you normally take care of when you go on something like that? Well, I, again, I, I always introduce a trapping program for everything. If you've got pigeons that are dedicated and committed to that that site, that area, that sign, that HVAC, you have to remove the birds. Otherwise, you can exclude it all you want. You're going to displace them, and you're going to push them to a an unprotected ledge or other sign. That's why trapping is so important when you're dealing with pigeons. I I I won't guarantee a bird-free anything unless I've introduced a trapping program. Uh, 
Um, having said that, you know, we've done several storefront signages. We did one, one, uh, we did a, uh, a strip mall. We did about, it was about 800 feet of, uh, parapet ledge and about another 500 feet of signage that we, we cleaned up. We did the trap and then we did all, we just spiked everything. And then we supported the spike with some eagle eye visual deterrence. Uh, and that, that facility is currently bird free. So it was a fairly straightforward, you know, trapping program, cleanup, and then your exclusion installation. And about six months after that, they're bird free. Um, I can guarantee a bird free ledge, but I'm not going to guarantee that the birds aren't going to go over to the other ledge. So, <laughs> so it comes down to just having the understanding into, you know, where the birds are potentially going to go and how, where they're going to displace to if you don't implement that trapping program. Well, uh, just, because I know there's a lot of guys that are going to ask this. And, um, like you, I'm trying to think of something. Do you guys have like staples, office, max type of Come again, I didn't catch that. There's some kind of tapping or boinging going on in the background there. I'm not sure what that is, but. <laughs> That's all right. I'll just, what do you normally start forefront job bring in total? Average storefront job, you know, it's, it, it's it's such a range. It's kind of a hard question. To be honest, it's quite a hard question to nail something down. You know, I guess um, I'm going to I'm gonna try and get as much money as I can for my services. I break it down to what my costs are on on my materials. I've, I have an hourly rate for my time and my technician's time. And then I want to be, I always want to be around a 50 to 60% net profit on any job. So after all my covers are all my costs are covered, I want to be at about a 50 to 6% net profit. So if a job, my, my costs on a job are, you know, $5,000, you know, um, you, you know, you, 7,500 range, 8,000. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, on the low end, um, um, I guess, on, on the smaller jobs, maybe I should reclarify. I, I've been at a I've been at a fifty six percent profit on a on a fifty thousand dollar job, right? Um, on the smaller jobs, you're going to want to get a little bit more. So, uh, if you had a five thousand dollar job, I'd probably go. I'd probably bid it at ten grand. If I had five hundred dollars materials and spike and shock strip, I would probably bid it out at ten grand. So I'm covering all my costs, all my labor, and I've got about five thousand net there. Um, you know, it's hard to say, you know, we're, we're pretty special up here, you know, again, with, with limited, with limited, um, with limited, uh, you know, competition, it's, uh, you know, we're able to price things a little bit more aggressively. No, oh, yeah. I, I love it when there's not much competition in an area, but I don't think we're going to be living with that very long. I think everybody's getting into this kind of work, so. Yeah, it, it's going to come. Consideration it, comp, it's there. Comp, yeah, competition is good, but he who has, you know, the better rapport uh, and the better package is ultimately going to win. Um, there's actually we did a there's a company called the Poulins uh, Poulins Pest Control and, for instance, we bid on a job in a small city outside the Virginia here and. The city manager posted 
the information online. Uh, if you Googled our name, you may be able to find it. Um, I think it's the title is Council 7 or something like that. You click the link, it opens up, and it and indicates, you know, it has the the other company's uh, information, and then my proposal is there. And, uh, you know, we were probably $15,000 more than the other company, but we I had, I had understood what they wanted, and I provided the right solution that they were needing. So, no, yeah, I've come in that way. So, you gotta, there's times that you can get that job even if you are the highest bidder. Anyways, I, I don't know what happened to Will there, but I got a question for you, Rich. Um, First off, uh, as far as even though you do uh, full house trapping, do you do any type of practices for um, reproduction to prevent reproduction? We, you know, there is a product called Oval Control, which is a birth control for pigeons that is out there by a company called uh, Analytics. Um, Eric Wolf is the owner of that company, but Oval Control is not available up here in Canada yet. There's some pilot projects, pilot programs going on with that product up here, but uh, I have not done any birth control uh, to date because it just I haven't had to introduce that option to a client. Um, you know, you're I'm, I'm so confident if we we do the proper trap trapping program, we do the right exclusions, there'll be no more birds. Um, but yeah, no, there is, there is like there is nesting boxes. I did, I did initiate a nesting box program with a potash mine up here, but it, it never really ever came to light. We built the boxes, but we ended up going a different route. So, um, but as far as the birth control, we uh, we have not engaged in in birth control exclusively as of yet. But not that we can't or we won't. Just hasn't become hasn't become a need yet for a client. Yeah, the other one was uh, what you had mentioned there. I know um, I've heard of that. I've never used it. Um, would it be too much of a cost to do like oil and eggs like they do geese? You know, when you're, we, you know, with which with with pigeon eggs you're talking about? Yeah. And you see, you're, you're oiling like environments like the government because because Canada geese are a protected bird you need permits in order to you know reduce flock numbers and and oil eggs and freeze so when you're talking pigeons they're not a protected species at all so they're fair game you know that's why we're able to go that's why we're quite successful because you know we can we know what to do to guarantee the results that are needed so um oiling eggs isn't required with pigeons right you just you know, you take the eggs and cook them up if you want. But um, <laughs> at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know we're 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 pulling birds from traps, we're ringing necks, and they're going they're going in the bag and getting disposed of via right. the proper you know disposal techniques and procedures that are that are sort of government put forth for us. Okay, how about uh, traps? What would be? I know you're going to say bird traps because this is kind of a silly question, but what what would be the best trap or a good trap traps to use? Doesn't have to be a brand name. I mean, it could be a you know whatever. 
Um, we use a two-stage, two-compartment trap. Uh, the traps that I like to use, we make them sometimes. We've, we've actually bought them from other suppliers. They're six feet long, and the the entrance cage is three feet by three feet and 10 inches tall, and we have three entrance bubble doors on that. And then that, that lower cage connects to a three by three by three holding cage. Uh, and then there's a one-way bubble door that goes from the entrance cage into the holding cage. We put some perches in there. Uh, again, weather permitting, we'll determine if we're going to put a, a water feeder in there. Uh, but when it's cold in wintertime, you know, we're checking the traps. If it's going to be minus 30, we're checking traps every day or so. We don't want birds freezing in there. Uh, right. If it's plus 30, we're checking every couple of days because we don't want birds, you know, dehydrating and whatnot. So the weather, weather conditions will, will determine how often we're checking that trap. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, we like those traps. We put them on a sheet of plywood, a four-bake sheet of plywood, and that contains the crap. Because a lot of guys will go to set traps up, but they don't have a barrier to, cut, to protect that roof from right. all the feces and whatnot. So we always put our traps on a 6x4, 8x4 sheet of, you know, 3-8 OSB. It's fairly cheap. Uh, we haul it up. Sometimes we've had to cut the board in half lengthwise or or otherwise to get it through a, a roof hatch or something, and then we button it back up once we get up on the roof. But uh, that's the trap I prefer. We get, we've get we had up to 50 to 60 birds in those holding cages that time. So uh, we find it very successful with that trap. It's a fairly good trap for us to use. You know, speaking of traps, have you ever used the uh, ladder traps, I think they're called? No, I haven't yet. I haven't had to do any trapping of crows or ravens or magpies as of yet. Um, we're working on a project with a small city of about 15,000 here in the province, and they got about 500 ravens at their landfill, and we're look, we've just looking at doing a, a big uh, culling of these ravens next, next winter with the city. So we've got our insurance in place to cover that type of activity when you're blasting birds with shotguns. I've got a team of four friends that are all hunters that are biting at the bit to get out there, but it might be on hold till next year. But uh, ladder traps, you know, they work. Um, our environment has to be good for them, like in a, in a rural area, rural setting, where you're a farmer in acreage and you got the magpies or crows or ravens giving you hassle. You bait it, you know, you throw a carcass in or something like that, have to pay carcass or a, you grab a roadkill, fresh roadkill, throw it in there, they, you'll get them. Um, uh, but, again, you're talking about the, the, that type of bird. Pretty darn smart, I tell you. So, But uh, once they're in, they're not getting out. But I, I am familiar, very familiar with ladder traps, um, but haven't had to implement one, you know, as of yet. Nice. Yeah, ever, I, I built a custom one probably 10 years or so ago because our city has a massive crow issue every single year. Uh, I think I've talked with Richard on the side about it once or and it's probably a, it's a massive flock, 150,000, I think, 200,000 birds. Yeah. Every single year, just invades downtown Terre Haute, and there's just they can't figure out any way to stop it. <laughs> you know, well, uh, well, if uh, if I may inject here, there's there's some new laser technology out that uh, that the city may want to look at. It's called Agri Laser. Um, they're from they're from the Netherlands, I think, the company, and they do have an office down south there. I'm not exactly sure where they are, but if you if you search Agri Laser, 
they've got autonomic lasers that you set them up on a tripod. They're powered from solar power, and you can set the parameters so it goes the exact, you know, so you're not, you know, that that may be an option for the town. I just kind of was thinking of that there, Will, but that may be an option for the town to look at getting into. I remember you and I had talked about that, and I, I, I was waiting to hear some more details if you looked into it further because that sounds like it might actually work since we have, like, one tall building, and we could probably set that up to really cover some area. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a laser, you got to make sure where you're hitting. You don't want to go through, you know, be tagging windows and building windows, but definitely, uh, you know, you're skimming trees and stuff like that. It might work quite well, so... Um, I have been in contact with the franchise owner in U.S. there. I'm just waiting back to get some more specs on them and pricing from him. I was thinking of buying a couple of these units. So Nice. Uh, well, Keith, I don't want to leave you out. You got any bird stories? Uh, not too many. Uh, sparrows <laughs> parking lots. Um, the most recent ones would probably be the turkey vultures on roofs of uh, big giant I guess you could call them cabin mansion houses up on the tops of the mountains um, to where people cut all the trees down and put the big giant cabin house on the top. So now the roof is the highest point of the mountain. And guess where the vultures went? That's probably, that's probably the biggest thing we get in the mountains here. Uh, down by the cities, you'll get more parking lot birds and everything. Um, that's mostly just trapping down there and taking care of the birds after you trap them out. Um, but up here in the mountains, you know, you're dealing with mostly cabins and second homes. So it's it has to be a big enough problem where a homeowner or business owner will want to take care of it. And there's just not too many. Hey Keith, have you, you mentioned vultures there? Have you, um, up in that neck of the woods, ever have them eat the boots out of like your stink pipe or your electrical uh, service or anything like that? Not that I've ever heard of. No. Um, is it more? They're more concerned about the feces from them, or or what? What's their issue? Yeah, just landing and perching on the very peaks of the rich caps, and then. Uh -huh. Like the last one we did had the, uh, it looked like slate roof, but it was that rubber membrane stuff. Oh, yeah. And the, just the white droppings all the way down this, you know, blackish gray rooftop. Like, uh, it covered the whole thing. So I was up there, you know, I rigged up, pressure washed it all off, and then we laid down the shop strip uh, with the solar charger on the ends. Um, haven't had a problem with it since. But it was... Like, I, as soon as I drove up, he goes, oh, you'll see. And I drove up, and I'm with him on the phone when I drive up, and, oh, yeah, yep, you got them sitting on your roof, don't you? Yep. So, but most most homeowners don't want to see a, you know, five $6,000 bill just to keep some vultures from trapping on the roof. So right. there are few and far between here. Yeah, was that your video that you posted on Will's page there? Um, young guy up on the roof spraying the power washing the roof off? I don't believe so. Oh, okay. I haven't posted a video in a while. You know, I know who, I remember seeing that, but I can't remember who posted it. I don't think it was Richard. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Now it's killing me. Now I just want to go look, but I'm, I'll wait till after the show. 
I think I may have posted a picture of, a, of one of my techs up on a roof pressure washing the roof on a, on a home. And then we did some exclusion there. We just did that this weekend. I'm not sure if I posted that one or not, but we've done lots of roof cleans, that's for sure. It may have been, it may have been that one. Cause it wasn't, I don't think it was a video. I think it was just a picture. But yeah, I, I, yeah, it might have. Yeah. yeah, I posted it in the group. Yes, I did. Um, um, it was my, uh, my tactician, Mel. He was up there with me. We pressure washed that. Yeah, we posted some pictures there. Yes, that was Mel. Yeah. I actually have a question now that I, that one's been brought up. Does the power washer damage those shingles? I mean, that seemed awfully close. <laughs> you know, we we use uh, we use you know the chemistry where that breaks down the enzymes and the, and the acids and the shit. So uh, <laughs> when we when we, and the dwell you know your dwell time is going to be you know a minute to two to three minutes, depending if the direct sun set because it'll dry it up pretty quick. But you know if your dwell time is good, it softens the feces up pretty good. You're able to just get in there. Um, it really depends on the flow you have, how much gallons per minute is flowing out of your lap, so you're out of your gun, and what type of tip you have on. If you got a 15 degree or a 45 degree tip, uh, uh, that's the, the fan, uh, fan, and then how close you are. Yeah, the nozzle has to make all the difference, correct? You bet. Yeah. So. Yeah, I was just. I like, spray. First thing that popped in my head was, oh, man, he's going to blow the shingles off if he isn't doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> but since I've seen all the shingles, I figured it was good. <laughs> well, I have some guys mount these metal roofs clean the wrong direction going up the roof instead of down and I have to go behind and deal with some water damage issues in the past years. I watched a homeowner do that once. That was kind of entertaining, actually, but <laughs> I'd never do it. All right, we seem to hit a dead spot. How much, Kevin, you got any more for bird work here? I know you're kind of up there. You got any for the bridges? Or <laughs> Well, I kind of hit a few of the questions that I was just kind of concerned about myself. Um, I make my own traps as far as my bird traps go, and uh, it's just out of, of a heavier hardware cloth, um, just inexpensive, they work. Um, a typical bait is just a grain, um, you know, for pigeons. So it's kind of one and the same, you know, nothing special. Traps too, and they pretty much answered my question. I think we've got one real old have a heart. I think it's a pigeon trap. It's like 30 inch by 30 inch by like two feet tall. We hadn't used it in so damn long. I cut the bottom off and used it as a, an excluder. <laughs> our traps in the door. We could, uh, speaking of traps, we've, when we've done the odd residential job, we've uh, I've ordered in the single bird trap. It's called a laser trap. Uh, we've got a guy named Randy Hushauer. And uh, it's 24 inches by 24 inches. It's just a flat tree, and it's got uh, it's got a you know um, it's motion sense. So when the bird gets onto the tree and starts feeding from the the bait the bait tree, uh, it's got a lever action, and it just kind of flips right over and encompasses the bird in the net. Um, so those are pretty handy for small jobs if you got one or two birds that are kind of hanging out, creating some nests. Um, you know, you can set that up on a rooftop and 
that's got a little flag so when the trap goes off and the bird if there's a bird there the flag will go up so the homeowner actually will just give me a text or a call say hey the flag's up and then i got to go there and you know check it so it saves a lot of time it's a pretty efficient way of doing it getting a couple of small birds or it works for sparrows works for pigeons uh starlings um pretty much any sort of bird that's you know kind of pigeon and smaller uh, and actually, one, one, twice now, I've, I've, I've double banged off two pigeons in one of these traps. It's a live trap. Uh, it just kind of encapsulates them in the net. And that was got two birds in one shot. I was pretty impressed with that when I found that. But this happened twice already. But that's a neat little trap for a, you know, a smaller residential job. You know, you, you set it up. You know, customer, you set them up, up, customer up on a, you know, a two-month trapping program or something, and, you know, and customer helps you because they'll, they'll they'll be watching when the flag goes up they'll, you'll get a text right away i guarantee it <laughs> you guys do you yeah, literally, trap check laws up there what was that oh i was gonna say do, do you guys not have the uh daily trap check laws because i know at least in our state here in indiana even something like that at least <laughs> you know um, base up here where we're at, uh, the or, or I guess called SBC or Humane Society, they're pretty lax unless someone gives a call and um, and is complaining that there's birds in a trap. You know, again, you got to know the bird and what you know in a in a 30 degree day, you might with the water with a with a water tray, you might get a you know 24 48 hours life out of that bird. So if it's super hot. We're checking every day, every two days. If it's, you know, a nice, cool, cool spring week or something, we'll check. We've, we've left traps for four to five days at a time, knowing that the birds are going to they're gonna be in there live when we go pick them up. Uh, pigeons are pretty hardy. They can go about four to six, uh, six to eight days without any food or water, to tell you the truth. So, but, um, um. Oh, man, but, I wish. Sure, they'd be calling oh. the on us. I have them check it. Yeah, no. See, we, we're pretty proactive. We connect with we connect with the humane societies in town, and we let them know the location of each of our traps. So we're proactive about that. And the SPCA or humane society, whoever's patrolling, you know, would be getting that call if they if someone saw birds in trap, and then we make sure that's all recorded. And we like working with the local uh, authorities if we do have a trap, and 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 if that trap's going to be in a place where you know, someone in an apartment might see it on the rooftop or something. That's when we want to be proactive um, in that case. Nice. I like it. And uh, lately, lately, Rich, we've been having a few questions on my page and on Will's about uh, using types of deterrent, like granulated deterrent, uh, whether you want to call it chemically induced or whatever. Do you have any um, input on that, or have you ever used any? Yeah, the, you know, you're talking about the, you know, the methylhydrates and for fogging uh, areas. Unfortunately, like fog force and all that stuff, that methylhydrate-based stuff, it's not allowed up in Canada yet. Our government hasn't got their heads wrapped around that it can be up here and be used. Um, so we're we're pretty particular on our with our FDA and our you know all the all the bylaws and things that allow certain items to get shipped up to Canada. So I haven't engaged in in fogging per se with a with a methyl adrenalate or hydrate. 
um, because it's just I don't need to be uh, red flagged. Actually, I was already red flagged once. I brought up I brought up a five gallon pail of uh, bird off gel, and it's got a it's uh, polybutene free, but it's got some chemical in it that was red flagged. So our yeah. local uh, federal government environment employee came and paid me a visit. It was a great interaction. It was actually more of a networking opportunity than not because um, he did bring up the fact he had all the shipping information with him of this product that I brought up. And, and he said, really, you know, it's not a it's not a big deal. He said, hang on to it. You go ahead and use it. But um, just he wanted me to let me know that that really wasn't uh, allowed up here. So at the end of the day, uh, there are specific uh, laws that don't allow certain chemistries to be shipped up here uh, yet. So I have not actually engaged in a lot of fogging aspect. Um, so when you're talking about, you know, the scent deterrence and taste deterrence, the only one really is is that bird off gel um, that we get from bird barrier. Uh, and it seems to work pretty good when we do use it. I can speak to the fogging a little bit. Um, my father-in-law actually had the license to fog for years. So we tried the fog that's supposed to kind of flush them out. Uh, we had a big enclosed awning, and it didn't work. <laughs> ended up having to net them out anyway. Yeah, you know, when you're talking about, again, fogging, it's another kind of a, it's a deterrent. It's not an actual um, barrier, right? You've got your visual deterrence, your taste deterrence, your touch, you know, your sensual deterrence you know, and, and sound turns, but I, I never guarantee anything when I have a, when I'm, I'm re- like, for instance, uh, I looked at a balcony on a penthouse suite in downtown here and a uh, woman's husband is an ex-judge. Um, they probably, you know, they've got the money and I quote, and she says, oh, well, someone told me you can just clean up, put a flasher up here. Will you put a flasher up? I said, no, I won't. And she said, oh, why not? I said, because it's not going to work. She goes, oh, but so-and-so said it would. I said, ma'am, it's not going to work. I said, you might get a bit of relief for a few days or a week, but uh, you've got committed birds. They've been nesting on your balcony for, for weeks and months now and probably a year. These birds aren't going anywhere. I said, I'd like to exclude it. This is what I'm going to, this is the cost for cleanup and exclusion, and I'd love to do the work for you. Um, fortunately, she set, phoned me the next day and said, you know, we're going to clean it up and we're going to try a flasher. I said, okay, so that's fine, ma'am. If you know, if, if you find it doesn't work for you, please give me a call. So. And you leave it on a good note, but I'm not going to go and do work that I know is not going to work. That's for sure. Oh yeah. So what type? Go ahead. I was just going to ask, what type of a vac system do you use a vac at all? We cleaned out. Uh, it was a huge barn in one of the universities here in the province, and we actually extracted. We pulled out thirty thousand pounds of fecal matter pure pigeon shit out of this facility um, and the barn had been dormant for about 10 15 years so and it had about uh, it had about you know we actually called a thousand birds we shot actually shot physically shot a thousand birds in that barn we rigged up a trap door they only I, the uh, facilities management they closed up all the small windows and they had one larger opening the birds would go in at we go at about midnight we had set up a swing door on their entrance and we closed it off and we'd be in there for a couple of, your arm got tired because I had two or three guys shooting your arm would get tired of a cock in your crack barrel yeah. <laughs> so we had to, you only do it for a couple hours so um, yeah we actually ended up 
room in about a thousand birds there, clean up, and then we then we put another piece of plexi on that uh, opening there. But that that barn's currently bird free and, and super happy. They're going to retro it and they're going to put actually going to put into usable office space now. I think so. But boy, that that red uh, that red fur was just beautiful because we pressure washed everything. So getting to your your question about the vac truck, we did bring in a third party. A vac truck service came in. They were there for about ten hours one day. Because when we were pressure washing, we wanted to suck up the, you know, all the water and residue that was coming down from the roof, and the uh, all the hangers and trusses up high. Um, we usually use we usually pick up shop vacs. I got about 15 shop vacs in my shed, so we uh, we burned through them pretty quick. So we've got a stockpile of 15 shop vacs. We always make sure we use a HEPA filter on them when we are sucking up if it's dry. Um, but yeah. Definitely, if we've, we've had to outsource a vac truck in the past, and like I said, we got about 15 shop vacs uh, in inventory that we use. Well, you kind of got onto the clean-out thing, and that reminds me of a question I think Dalton had actually asked. He was really interested in uh, knowing the steps of how you actually do the cleanups on those big ones. I mean, take us through the actual steps of doing the large cleanups to be safe about it. Well, we... Uh, we um, we have full face. Well, first of all, you want to get all your all your technicians fit tested because you want to be properly fitted for your respiratory support, whether it's a half mask or a full mask. They're small, medium, or large, and you really want to make sure you got that good fit. So, uh, you know, all of my technicians are fit tested for the size of respiratory support they're going to have on their face. So we've got full full face and uh, half masks, um, and then we have the P100. 3M filtrations on there, usually double barrel, uh, and we, we make sure that those are properly fitted and sealed. We'll go in. Usually you're doing a manual. It's manual labor. You're scooping and bagging. Uh, in that barn specifically, we scooped and bagged, uh, and then we brought in a big 30-yard roll-off bin, put it at the door, and we would just – and then I actually had purchased a quad specifically for this job. Uh, and a tub trailer. So we'd load up six or eight garbage bags, averaging 50 pounds each in the back of the tub trailer, drive it down, you know, this barn was probably 150 feet long, drive it down the other end and and huck the bags in the, in the, in the roll-off bin, go back. And like I had, I had a crew of six guys for about a month. We averaged 45 days. We got that barn cleaned and back to new. Um, so it's just manual scoop bags, scrape, sweep, uh, we actually rented a power sweeper with the 48-inch uh, sweeper um, spiral sweeper on it, and we would push that a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, it was all manual labor. Uh, we brought in scaffolding. We brought in uh, two sets of scaffolding. The platform up top was like 10 by 10, and then we had a 24-foot scaffolding on casters, and then we had uh, about a 15-foot scaffolding on, on casters so we could reach different heights inside the rafters of the barn because we had to scrape and uh and and knocked down and then we pressure washed everything top down so um you know you want to make sure number one you've got the respiratory support you guys are properly fit tested and the chemistry you know it was such a big job if we were going to be using we probably if we would have brought in the the dissolvents and and uh and you know bird solutions that are gonna sort of put uh put the particles you know, bring them down so they're not floating around. We would have spent thousands of dollars on chemistry. So I made sure the guys had full Tyvek suits on. They were gloved up, masked up. They had their full face respirators. 
and we just went in there. We give her. We work inside for about an hour or two, then we cut out, get the fruit, get a breather, get a coffee. We had to monitor the wind speed. This barn is over 100 years old, so the facilities was concerned that it might might blow down if there was over a 40 kph wind. So we're out monitoring the wind speed every hour. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Well, what else could you give advice to anybody that wants to get into doing the larger bird work? Have your safety. If you're doing large stuff, you're going to be on the larger commercial industrial sites. You got to invest in your safety program. Um, we've spent thousands of dollars on our safety program, uh, safety systems manuals. Uh, we, you know, we have our guys that are drug and alcohol tested for that reason because a lot of these industrial sites potash mines steel plants they want these they want these results um you got to make sure you've got your ppes you got to make sure all your guys have steel toe boots and their their high vis and their protective eyeglasses and and their hard hats um you know you want to make sure you've got your you know your trucks have got your beacons on the roof uh your trucks are are, are good condition to go on these job sites you know safety is is huge uh, on these larger commercial industrial sites. So that's the one thing they're going to want to know. What's your safety program like? Um, so if you're going to start looking and bidding on these bigger jobs, you want to make sure you have the safety program fairly solid. Uh, and usually there is also additional site orientation on these larger sites uh, that you're going to have to pay your staff to go sit for four or three or six hours listening to a guy talk about safety you know, plans and stuff for that specific job site. Once you've got your safety in place, you know, then it's just, you know, you got to have the manpower, right? You got to have the technicians, you got to have the staff. Um, you know, we have a we have an internal training program for our staff that we run uh, on the proper cleaning procedures uh, and removal. Um, and then it's 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 about business relationships at the end of the day, right? You make your contact, you find out who's the guy that I have to talk to that's going to make the decision. Um, and then you build the relationship with that contact. You know, you make them feel good. You, you know, you make sure you provide all the information that they want at any given time, and you're ready to roll when they're ready to pull the pin. Um, but uh, you know, safety plans and uh, having the right, right technicians in place is, is you have to have that if you want to even step onto a job site. Um, yeah, you're dealing with bird safety is a massive thing, especially the respirators alone. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, for, uh, your, your techs, you know, because with bird work, you're, you're working on the rooftops. Ninety percent of the time, we're on the rooftop working. So you got to make sure you guys are properly uh, certified with fall protection. You know, we're operating boom lifts a lot of times, so you want to make sure your operators, if they're driving, they have their lift operator certification. Um, you know, first aid CPR. You know, you want to make sure you, you have your safety plan in place because that goes miles. Because I bet you the next guy doesn't have that safety plan in place. They're not prepared, right? And it's going to take them a couple of months to get their safety program together. You know, they're not going to wait around. So, but again, the, everybody starts the same position, or everybody starts off the same way. I was where Dalton is, for instance, right? Because I've talked to Dalton. I, I, you know, I've been helping Dalton a little bit, and, and uh, you know, um, a few other guys in the group. I connect with them. I'm, if they reach out to me, I'm more than happy to connect with somebody and, you know, do some mentorship if I can. Because when I first started, I had three or four guys that 
gave me the time of day to help me and answer my questions. So I want to I want to pay that forward if I can. So and it's and it's all about you know, helping each other out in the industry. Um, if we can work together, we'll be further ahead. Oh yeah, the company's not going to wait around for somebody else to get trained when you're there and ready to go. I think we've covered birds top to bottom, sideways, <laughs> North Pole, South Pole. I actually question it. <laughs> Sorry? Uh, for you northern, I guess, Richard mostly, does the cold affect uh, the seasons for birds and trapping and problems, or is it just year-round? You know, pigeons are non-migratory birds, and again, like I said, 90% of what we do is pigeon-based. So, you know, we're, you know, we thought that we may have some lulls in the winter time, but at the end of the day, really, there isn't. Uh, if it's not uh, pigeons, and you know, well, pigeons, they're around 365 a year up here. So, um, sure, you can't do the, the type of cleaning you can in the summertime, but boy, trapping is sure successful in the winter time because when the when the ground's covered in snow and food is less available, they see that nice pile of bright yellow cord in that trap. They're going there, that's for sure. So usually trapping numbers are a bit a bit more successful in the wintertime up here when there's snow-covered, when there's ground cover, snow-covered ground. Um, but uh, our trap program is pretty solid. We don't really have a problem pulling birds any time of the year. Um, but definitely, uh, you know, with the non-migratory, you know, uh, pigeons, there isn't really uh, much of a slowdown for us. Wintertime, the ravens sort of come around and they get at the landfills. And then, of course, in the summertime, they flip spots with the seagulls. And we've been getting into some seagull work and some, some roof-grade work and stuff like that. So, um, you know, we've got some pretty pretty unique tools and stuff in our arsenal for for stuff. We've got a, an LRAD system, long-range acoustic device. Does anybody know what that is? Heard of it. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, we've got production number 25 LRAD out of the original production of these things. They're originally built for the military. It's 180 decibels directional at about a kilometer away. So uh, you know the military, in, uh, for instance, in Ferguson when they had those riots, yeah. uh, the police oh, yeah. would strap one of these LRADs around their neck. These are smaller, compact version. And they're kicking out 180, 190 decibels directional. You're in the way of that of that sound. You're you're covering your ears up and you're running, man, because it hurts. So we can pipe. You know, we've got an LRAD. We mount the back of our truck and we we got an, with an inverter in our truck and we run to the landfill. We fired this thing and we did a test run at the landfill. It was about we never seen 5,000 seagulls move so fast in their life. We piped in some falcon calls and some crazy noises and those birds went from one tip to the next because <laughs> they, they were scared so uh you know then we've got zon guns you know we've got lasers we've got bangers um you know we're getting into the drones uh getting a lot of drone uh patrolling uh we're using drones to evaluate rooftops and and you know hard to reach facilities um and Really helpful for just getting pictures when you don't want to put a forty-foot ladder up. Oh, yeah, no, agreed. <laughs> are, do you, does Canada have the uh, registration thing going on for drones that we are down here? 
I think everybody does, but you know, again, uh, we're the city I live in is about 260,000 people, and uh, you know, it, you know, it's about being proactive. If you're going to fly a drone on a job site, you want to make sure the property manager knows. And I'm going to call the local police service and say, look, this is my business. I'm going to be flying this drone Sunday at this time of day. I'm going to be doing some, you know, some assessment of a environment. And usually, I say no problem, right? So, um, you know. If we, uh, when we get into uh, more of the aggressive drone work at landfills and stuff, you know, you're in a you're in a fairly secluded area, so no, we haven't had to deal with that as of yet in a big way. No. I think that's how a lot of operators are getting around that one. We just don't use them as much to really justify it, and most local authorities kind of give us a pass as long as we let them know what's going on. About the same yeah, the, the city limits. As long as we let them know, most of the time they don't care. Yeah, the, you know the police the authorities are looking for the guys that are flying them and peekabooing around and you know raising hell and looking for trouble. That's that's what they're after. They're after those guys that are you know wanting to get photos of stuff they shouldn't be. You know, um, but for the if you're an industry where it's an asset to your business and you know you're up front with everybody, everything should go fairly smooth. Oh yeah. Well, Kevin, I was looking a... into one. Oh, sorry. I was looking into one. Uh, I can't place the name right off offhand, but um, they were looking at a thousand dollars, and it it was only uh, I think it was three hundred feet is the distance away that you could fly it, and obviously you have a height uh, limitation regulation. Um, this one would go up to four hundred feet uh, for height. What um, what relatively what do you guys use? I use the cheap one that was only about one hundred and fifty dollars. And if you look on the FAA website, it's one of the ones that you do not have to register because of the weight limit. Now the oh. only downside to it is that it's so lightweight, uh, you're not going to want to utilize it on a super windy day. Right. Um, but I mean, heck. I don't have to register anything. You know, it, on these mountain homes, I don't have to notify anybody other than the homeowner. Um, but when I do use it down in the cities or suburbs, you know, then I'd have to start notifying, you know, local authorities and stuff just in case uh, one of the neighbors has a stick up their butt and wants to report. Um, but, I mean, heck, I don't have to, you know, if I crash it, I'm not out of thousand dollars, you know. Right. I forget the brand name, so we can look at it real quick. So the, uh, you're the using it? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, the, the, the drones we're getting into, you know, they've all got the GPS, they've got their homing, If you you know, they've got the uh, the range the range sensor, so if it gets out of range, it's gonna it's not going to go beyond your out of range. Uh, we can we can uh, do GPS coordinates, um, you know, and we of course, and we can also do an autopilot, so we can map out uh, um, a pattern in, in an area we want to fly if we're doing some deterrent work, uh, and then click the autopilot button, and it'll just fly that same pattern. So, um, so there's some really really cool technology coming out, and especially we like the quadcopters. A little more stability, a little, a little more uh, agile with quadcopters. So, 
uh, and especially you get ones with the 4K camera, the 4K technology is coming out. It's you know super. Like the 1080p is nice, but into a 4K visual, that's that's fantastic. The the clarity you're getting, and, and but the ability to see further distances of that 4K and the and the pixel clarity is really really good too. So. Yeah, I think that's almost going to be standard standard equipment on any wildlife truck before long. Yeah. Well, Richard, could you think of anything we have not covered? Man, have we covered? <laughs> you know, just for the guys that are getting into bird work, you know, trapping, there is a science to trapping. Um, you know, you want to make sure that you have a, a proper habituation time before you introduce the actual trap. Uh, we always use a three-phase trapping. So we have our pre-bait. So we've got about 40 bait boxes at any given time. They're two feet by two feet, uh, you know, with a two-by-four edge. And, uh, and we'll, we'll, depending on how many birds in the flock, we'll put two or three bait boxes out. And we'll, pre, we'll pre-bait for up to four or five, six weeks because we want to really habituate the birds to feeding from that box, that specific spot. Um, so once, if we set up three bait boxes and we know that one or two of them are getting fed from aggressively more than the other one, we'll narrow it down to one or two bait boxes. If we're going to set two traps up, we'll go with two bait boxes. If we're going to set one trap up, we narrow it down to one bait box. And we really want to habituate the birds. So like clockwork, every two, three days, every three days, same time, we're there, we're, we're loading that bait box up. We come back, it's empty, we reload it. And then after you're comfortable that they are committed to feeding from that site every day, you're going to introduce your trap on the exact same spot as your bait box. Your trap is then put into a pre-trap phase where you wire all the bubble doors up, your, your, your uh, retrieval door is opened up, and you load the trap up with your bait. Your, your, and we use the whole corn, you know, using crack corn, you want to use the whole cord, and that's the most successful we've ever had is with whole cord. And you do the same habituation with the trap. You want to get them comfortable coming in the trap, out of the trap, sitting in the trap, pooping in the trap, you know, up on the perches and just relaxing and getting real comfortable coming and eating in that trap. And you do that for another sometimes three, four, six weeks. Once they are very committed and habituated to that trap, you're going to drop your doors down. And if you've got anywhere between 50 to 80 or 100, 300 birds on that site, you're, that trap's filling up and you're going there on day two after you put a trap on your pulling birds. I will guarantee to any of my clients that if, if I have, I can, I can guarantee a, tra- a successful trapping program at any site. Um, now, sometimes the bait boxes don't get touched right away. Well, everybody's gone fishing. You've got to find the hole, right? You just move the bait box 20 feet one way, 30 feet the other uh, you got to find the hole, and once you've once you've found where they're feeding from regularly, you do the same process. You habituate to the bait box, introduce the trap. You habituate to the trap, and then after three four weeks of of habituation to the trap, you, I, we use the holder zip. We we use zip ties. Wire the bubble doors up with zip ties. We just snip them, and I'll guarantee you guys will have ultimate success if you follow that habituation program. You get excited, you want to shorten that habituation period, but you can't. you really got to do the three, four weeks on each phase. Now, at times, your trap will start, the birds might start getting trap shy. Even though you've habituated, you've pulled half the flock, they're getting trap shy. You want to then reinitiate the pre-trap. 
to wire the bubble doors up and and begin your pre-trap again for another few weeks or a week or maybe four days. Uh, once they're comfortable again, put it back in the trap mode and you're you're repulling birds. So that is that is key to any bird control. And I'm speaking specifically about pigeons, guys. Okay, uh, not any other species of birds. This is purely for pigeons. Um, and I will guarantee you can guarantee your client if you follow that program and they, you're, you're, if you know they're feeding from the bait box and the trap, you're going to pull birds, guaranteed. That's that's the key success to doing a proper flock reduction at a, at any facility. When you're utilizing a free bait system for that long, do you go there by hand or use auto feeders? I'm sorry, come again? Do you utilize automatic feeders? When you're doing a six week uh, pre baking, no, no, you're you're pre you're you're pre you're you're pre your bait boxes. You build your boxes, you put them on the rooftop, and you load up your box. And you're gonna go back and check it. And for first time we put a, a bait box out, we're coming back in five to seven days. If that box is picked clean, we reload it, and we're back in about four days. If the box is picked clean, we come back in three days. We come back in three days. And you want to make sure you have that box full. As soon as it's empty, you want to be refilling that box. We don't, you have to use auto feeders because you, you're, you're, commit, you're habituating the bird to a specific spot. And you want them to be comfortable with coming and going. So, and, and you're talking about, you know, auto feeders, they're expensive. You don't need that expense. You really don't. You're, you're getting too technical for for what you're what you're trying to achieve. Uh, your bait box program for three, four, or five weeks. Once you know they're feeding from that box, introduce the trap. Same thing. And if they're feeding from the box, they will feed from the trap. Guaranteed. And you're just loading the trap up. There's no auto feeders, nothing. And when you're doing your pre-bait and your pre-trap, you don't have to have any water. Right? You don't need water because they can come and go. They can go get water wherever they want. Um, and then when you put it, when you when you when your trap is then put in trap mode, you may want to consider putting a water feeder in, unless you're checking your trap every day, so to speak. But I don't like checking traps every day because you want because birds in a trap will attract other birds, right? They're communicable. They're community birds. So if they see their 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 mate in the trap, they're gonna go follow, right? And if there's two or three in a trap, oh, there's food there. Let's go in there and join our friends. And before you know it, you got 30 or 40 birds in a trap, and you know, and then you're getting success. So, um, but no auto feeders, I don't, I don't bother with. Not required in the trapping program at all. Yeah. It's simple. Yes. Uh, we gotta check them every 24 hours, regardless for the laws here. Um, every you know, state's different, um, but in Georgia, Minnesota, for Live traps have to be checked every four hours. Yeah, that's the same we are here. We unfortunately we have to check them every twenty four hours. Um, we're allowed to use like the trap alert system, things like that. Um, if we use trail cameras that have the internet access where we can actually physically view the trap, then we can do that. But otherwise, we have to actually go out and look. But I'm no. thinking, well, thank well, you guys. I, I, I actually have to shoot a bird. <laughs> Anybody else? I want to hear about them squirrels down there in Georgia. Oh, that 
Them that are flying squirrels? Georgie? Uh, that's about, I'd say, 75% of the business in the North Georgia mountains is flying squirrels and cabins. Um, and they always go highest point. On the cabins, ridge vents. I've, I'm so tired of vents. Uh, having to take off the ridge caps, screen it up because it still needs the airflow, and then put all the back on with the shingle roof or metal on the metal roof ridge cap. And that's always fun sitting on those metal roofs with no ridge cap, having two shards of metal going straight up. So you have to be very, very careful and typically be tied on something. You ever use multi-catch traps for flyers or not? Oh yeah, uh, the majority. Yeah, I'd, I'd say about ninety percent of these cabins and houses up here all have bolted ceilings, so we cannot set any, you know, regular cage traps or even, you know, snap traps. Um, it all it's all multi-catch, you know, either one-way excluders or you know some people call them funnel traps. As long as you off all the areas um, that they're prone to going in, sausages, you know, ridge vents, obviously, vents, and then the uh, you know construction e-line gap or lines where they all that's for the money, obviously, in uh, the exclusion process, dealing up with metal, and then sweet spot. Where you find the oil, two marks, the two marks, you know, maybe you'll lucky when you pull the ridge cap off and find a mess of droppings or acorn. Say bingo, that's where you want to put that funnel trap. And, uh, you know, multi catch with the one way doors on it. Just let it work. And you can tell stuff. And going one way out. I've always been used to going right into the end of the trap. Thing now from the outside can come in, and that's about 75% of the work we do on the mountain homes up here. Yeah, so I can use, you, uh, um, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, when you trap the squirrels, are you euthanizing the squirrels? Or are you relocating, or what's the plan down there? Is there laws against? What's the, what's the, what's the method down there? Squirrels can only be caught in a box. Cage trap. You cannot use snap traps on squirrels in Georgia uh, anymore. Uh, they keep changing rules and laws every other year. Um, so we primarily that unless we box type trap. Um, you know, you have to check every 24 hours. But by the time we get there, they're usually already dead, and they off themselves. If it's uh, an adult, I've even added extensions on them. Uh, for more, you know, nesting capability and put nesting materials in the end to try to get them alive. Uh, like I always say, if I can't take them alive, take them 20, 30 miles away because, you know, i got a big service area in the mountains. I'll find myself driving an hour and a half just to go do one inspection at times. Um, you know, I'll drop them back off at my house. They're still alive. I keep having babies. That's more business. Uh, I'd rather they not die, but in actuality, 
they tend to off themselves at the end of the cage strap, and I give the client, you know, the choice. I can leave the cage strap open, uh, but I can't tell you what we have, how many there are, and they may come back and start running up and down these, you know, these log cabins. It's a, the builders are not that good down here. <laughs> There's a lot of use trim over places where it typically is not. And behind said trim are a lot, a lot of gaps. And I tell clients that straight up before I even begin exclusion process. If you leave the cage closed, they're more than likely going to perish. Uh, but you, we know what we have and they're not going to be chewing on your screen doors. You know, all your wood trim because it's just a big hollow log in the middle of the woods is what these cabins are. Um, and I've had cases in the past where, you know, well, let's let them live, okay, and then a week later, they chewed through the screen onto the back porch and started chewing up my wicker chair or my everything up here as a black bear, you know, my black bear statue or sign above the door, just everything's chewed on, they started nesting in between the uh, the outdoor furniture, and, you know, then we got to go to step number two, try to trap them in the cage basically outside on a screen porch. Uh, so I always try to tell them to use the, fun, the uh, you know, multi-catch funnel trap method um, aside from everything else. But, you know, ultimately it's up to them. I just give them the uh, different options. So why are these, why are they perishing so quick in the trap? What's the reason for that? I think because the ones, uh, and I've even come to a house Two hours after a client has called and said, we just got one inside the trap. All right, well, I happen to be in, you know, yada, yada city. I'm only a couple hours away. Let me finish this, and I'll head that way. And they are dead. I, I'm assuming they beat their heads against the cage or have a heart attack. Some of them I did not see indication marks on their forehead where they have been beating. So I'm assuming maybe heart attack, like if you tried to, live catch a shrew, it's all ultimately almost impossible because of their metabolism rate so high and their heart rate keeps going so fast. They either have a heart attack or die from starvation because they're constantly eating. Um, I'm assuming that's the same with it. Uh, I've had it on warm days and cold days, and they just tend to perish. Every once in a while I'll get one, but it tends to be a juvenile. So I'm assuming being a juvenile, they don't know they're in danger, and they're not, you know, freaked out as much as the adults will be, you know, running back and forth. Um, but yeah, I've put extensions on there. I've put, you know, I've put old gloves with cotton in it, perfect size from the cold weather, and they're still gone. Tried, you know, bunching up with uh, trash bags, keep it out of the rain. What? I don't feel so bad now because I've, I've, I've done one squirrel job in my entire career and that was at a, a house on the outskirts of the city here and I pulled maybe 15 squirrels over about a month and a half period from this home and I think I only was able to successfully release about three live but these things they don't they die I don't know what's going on I'm not doing nothing to them with the, <laughs> the, the owner would call me oh we got a trap we just heard it go off and it, no no more than less about two hours or less I was at the home and they're already stiff so that answers my question. Thank you. <laughs> oh, trust me. I have tried everything. Uh, 
I could, you know, um, aside from sitting right there and waiting for them to come inside of the trap at the very moment they do, um, which has happened in the past before, too. You go out of the driveway, and then they flag you down, thinking that I left the ladder there or something, and they go, oh, we got one. <laughs> That's about, you know, one of the only few times that we'll have live ones inside there. Um, what, are you, what are you baiting your traps with? Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. As long as the exclusion process is done correctly, you do not have to bait. It's just, you know, like a positive set. You put it over that yeah, hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as long as everything else is excluded properly, you shouldn't have any problems. Okay, I understand. Yeah, we just had our traps out on the ground underneath the trees, and we were baiting them with peanuts and sunflower seeds, and we are getting them, so. Well, that's the thing. People ask, too, aside from sealing up, can you just put traps on the roof? And, I, man, you know, <laughs> for me coming out every day, out in these mountains, it's not like the city where he may only be a mile or two away. Mm-hmm. You know, as the crow flies, it's totally different. As driving, and you no road is straight, it's all windy. And, you know, I tell him, you can check them and get them down, but you're going to get birds. You're going to get other non-target animals mm-hmm. set outside. And I don't, you know, really have time for that. I like doing the exclusions. That's where I make my mm-hmm. money and I'm comfortable. What's an average uh, exclusion job on a, a ridge vent or, uh, you know, button up some soffit on a home? What's what's that running? What's What are you charging out for something like that? Uh, the last one I sold was probably, it was about 2100 And you figure you have, I don't know, three, 400 bucks out in materials between the new roof. Because we're talking roofs primarily here. Um, so you have to get the same color to match metal roof screws from the metal roof shops, um, same color metal, vent to spec, unless you have your own benders, which I just have the small one. I don't got that time anyway, so I just have them bend it for me. Um, and then if they need, you know, new new pieces of roofing, it's, you know, something, free limb or something, hit the roof. And I'll replace a panel or two here and there. I'm not going to roof an entire metal roof. Um so probably you know about four hundred bucks in materials and gas when it's all said and done. Uh, so you know probably sixty foot of ridge vent at a eight twelve pitch. Uh, take it all off. You know obviously all in one all in one piece or however long the sections are. Every house is different. Um, screen it all up. Three screws between every rib, both sides, all the way down. And then put the ridge vent back on with brand new screws. Uh, same thing, like I'm pretty sure you guys know, utilize drip edge. Um, mm-hmm. Putting drip edge, uh, it's a lot different with metal roofs. Do you get a lot of metal roofs up there? Is it primarily asphalt singles? Uh, majority is asphalt. Maybe, I don't know, what would be a percentage on shingles to, to metal roof, but, you know, maybe... Uh, 95.5, five, 95% asphalt and 5% middle. Still not a big thing up here. That's about what we are here in Michigan. Uh, mainly the newer log cabins uh, that go up are the half logs, are metal roofed, um, but normally it's asphalt. Yeah, well, I'll be glad to get rid of the uh, primary metal stuff here. It gets really tricky and slippery to pollen season down here. Uh, 
<laughs> with, and then for putting drip edge on, you have to take off, you know, obviously any gutter guards that are in way, clean up the gutters. Zip up the first two or three rows of screws, depending on how many they put down there. If it's uh, one by fairing strips or if it's just on, you know, decking plywood. Um, so, you, have, you know, it's not bendable, obviously, so you got to take off several feet of screws in order just to lift it up a grip edge to sit in place. And then put all new screws back in those old holes. Zip in your drip edge. And I like to add an extra screw going down to uh, through each rib, creating almost like a prison door effect um, to where it's all metal all the way around. And now that little hole where the ribs on those metal roofing panels are have, you know, you take that gap down from maybe three quarters to one inch down to half inch or better. And that way they can't get their little heads inside there. But it's just a lot of tedious, you know, work moving ladders, getting ladders from one roof to another roof, you know, the drill. But it's it's that much more dangerous than metal roofs. So I either have a guy there footing it or, uh, you know, rig up to a, you know, rig on a, on the ridge after we're done with the ridges. Uh, do you do a lot of are you doing a, are you doing a lot of attic cleanup as well or uh, more just exclusion or are you you know is your in there in that twenty one hundred was there a cleanup involved in that last job you did? Oh no, it's all like I said the jobs up here in the uh, mountains. I don't get too many with actual attic. Mostly just vault ceiling. So they either want to rip the roof off or take the roof ceiling inside. <laughs> You're not going to be able to get to that. Uh, the only time I have done that is for bat jobs, um, yeah. just because, you know, the health risks and stuff. Um, and I've had one where we went through tongue and groove on the inside, and I've had several where they did because they just, they're afraid of everything dropping in. Primarily, it's taking the roof off on the outside and doing it that way, which yeah. I, I better anyways, because you're going back and forth having to get old insulation, foam board, along with all the crap. I don't want to be tracking around inside the house back and forth. Um, I'd rather bag it, tag it, and toss it off the roof. So I'd say as far as the limited attic access jobs go, I'd much rather take a roof off when I have a couple nice sunny days and then put back on after the, you know, clean out and put back new insulation uh, opposed to taking out the tongue and group. Yeah, understand, yeah. Good. So why aren't you allowed to use a snap trap, Keith? I do not know. You have to ask the DNR that. <laughs> okay. I didn't know if they, you know, I realize it's a regulation, but I just didn't know, what, you know, if you had a, a guesstimate of what their probable cause of not using them. Here in Michigan, I use them in the weasel boxes. Do you know what I'm talking about there or not? Yeah, I've seen pictures of you guys posting those. Yeah. Um, I mean, I them weasel boxes seem to be a very good attractor for uh, red squirrels, flyers, um, ground squirrels. The You know, the every state calls them something different, but here we call them a 13-stripe ground squirrel. And, oh, yeah. uh And knock on wood, you know, we don't really have uh, any regulations or stipulations on 
um, the northern flyers, but the southern flyers, they're protected. So, But up here where I live, um, you know, we have a good four months of winter, and, and then, uh, you know, we still have the cold weather, but the flyers aren't as active uh, through the winter as they are, you know, come spring. Like I just did a job here, I would say, oh, it was before winter set in, so say something like December into December. And it was a very small home, and I got 13 flyers out of it in three days. And uh, and it was all with the boxes. So you and, don't uh, yeah, multi-catch stuff that off? Yeah, I I do have a DWL. Um, I don't remember Dave's last name. Uh, he's out of New York. Uh, he builds these. And I was going to um, chime in when he said something about losing squirrels. Uh, and in that trap, it has a roost box that you can pull out, and it'll it'll hold probably eight or ten uh, flyers because it's not that big of a trap. And I also use the big trap that he makes for the gray squirrel, the fox squirrel, and, and that, you know. So the little one is, is basically for flyers and red squirrels, uh, and then the big one is, is for your bigger squirrel. Well, I've, uh, I've never had a problem keeping the gray squirrels alive inside of a repeater trap, but those flyers, for some reason, don't like to stay alive. Yeah. Uh, I've even caught them in live traps um, where, you know, you go in there up in the attic and they're dead when you get there. And normally, if I have a live trap situation like that, um, what I'll end up doing is leaving early in the morning to get up there before the sun gets hot in the attic, you know. And oh, yeah. Sure enough, they're they're all wrapped up there, you know, better than a doornail. So I I really don't have an explanation uh, for that other than stress. You know, they get stressed out. Uh, it's a wild animal, so they're you know. Yeah, I assume it's going to be the same thing with the small, you know, high strung, uh, tiny mammal, just like the shrew, um, yeah. that it just. Boom, it's hard to explode. Because <laughs> I can't see any evidence on its head where it's been beating itself to death like you will on grade school. Yeah, I use a, um, it's a, like a, I call it a pie filling. It's a pastry uh, called almond extract. Um, comes in a can. It's pretty, I don't want to say it's really liquidy, but it, it smells just like almonds and uh, that's a good attractor. It stays fragrant or active for quite some time, even in the heat, and uh, they they just love it. Is that is that the liquid bait? Well, um, I call it a pastry mix, you know, so it is kind of thin. Um, it's not, like, super thick or anything, um, and basically all I do is squeeze it out in a, a pastry bag. You know, or I dip a spoon in there and, and put it in my boxes. That's delicious. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't, I, my wife makes almond bread, so we usually have that around the house quite a bit, you know. But um, the, the multi-catch trap, I don't use any bait either uh, because that's a positive set. I might take the, what I call the snorkel or the hose and screw it up under the soffit where they chewed it out uh, by the chimney and... You know, it's it's basically a positive set. And in that house that I mentioned that I just caught the 13, uh, they didn't want to go in that live trap. I don't know what the deal was there. So 
my next thing was to put those boxes up there, and I cleaned them out in, I don't know, three or four days. Yeah, usually it's just different. You know, if I don't get them wanting to go inside of the uh, positive set multi-catch traps, uh-huh. I'll just fix the vision of them, you know, after a couple of days if they're still hearing it. You know, right. take off metal here or there and just move position around until you find that sweet spot. Sometimes they'll have, you know, 10 different areas that they're going in. Right. Yeah, I, w- I was only hoping for about four animals out of this house, but, boy, I put a couple traps up there in the attic area and uh, come back, there's two in the thing, and I come back the next day, there's two in the thing, so then I put seven traps total up there and uh, clean house on them. And, I mean, it's un- I make those that they're really reasonable to make. Uh, they're made out of a dogwood slat, fence slat. Uh, cost, I think it's a dollar fifty-six. I buy my rat traps by the dozen. Uh, them usually run about a buck seventy-five. So I have under right around five dollars or under in them between the screws and and that, you know. Hmm. But they're they're a really keen trap, and it's just like like Richard said about setting out under the tree. You can set them out under the tree. You can put them on the roof. It uh, doesn't matter where you put them. Um, normally, the squirrel's going to be in there. So how about bats? How, how much bat work do you do, uh, Keith? Well, in the summertime, when we get the calls for them, we take the residents over to the flying squirrels. You know, the rest of the year is flying squirrels. Summertime is for bats. Um, yeah. So I'd probably say three or four months out of the year, uh, mostly bats, and then the rest of the year it's going to be flying squirrels. Um, uh, you know, same thing. Ridges up top. I mean, uh, you know, the same exact places that the flying squirrels utilize. Lots and lots of gable vents, obviously. Uh, yeah, I think I got more gable vents and ridge vents for bats than any other areas going into, you know, chimney areas and stuff like that. But the good upsell on both of those animals would be, well, at least up here, for the uh, chimney rain. Because um, they're not going up there to see. And all these cabins and second homes have massive chimneys with really old or beat up or nobody did it right the first time, rain pants. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just get custom made at the metal shop that sells metal roofing supply and, you know, get my uh, whatever percentage for the rain pan and then quote them on, you know, exchanging it out. Uh other than that, it's the uh, you know, same thing with clean out we talked about. If there's an attic, yeah, I'll clean out all day. Same thing Richard was talking about earlier with clean up the pigeon poop. Lots and lots of these down here have rolled in insulation, so I can't just get you know, vacuums. <laughs> we got to do it by hand. Um, sometimes that means cutting, you know, taking out a vent or cutting a hole. You know, that way we're not taking bags and bags through hallways, downstairs, through living areas, and out the front door. I got to pull. You know, sometimes the homeowner's really excited about it. Sometimes they're not excited about it. Uh, it all depends. Okay. 
Well, I'm pretty much out of questions. If anybody else wants to ask somebody else something, uh, we're an hour, about an hour and a half into our program. And well, does anybody else utilize a uh, rope, uh, like work at height? Rope work uh, every day. Propelling? Every day, my friend. Every day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for safety, uh, for harnesses and stuff, is what you're asking. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Do you prefer the full body harnesses or do you have the uh the Home Depot harnesses, custom harnesses? I have I have a belt. Um basically like a pole style climbing belt and I also have the full uh, I guess you would refer it to as like a tree stand type but it's heavier duty. Yeah. And it's it's got the got the rope locks on it so you can propel yourself down repel uh, are you just you talking uh for multi-level buildings or just for regular houses and your feet are still on something yeah just for regular houses in case you happen to slip uh on the shingles um you you can control your fall if you want to call it that um i use a, a belt harness when i'm using a man lift Yeah, I've got do you guys do you guys do you guys have uh, fall protection certification down there? Like you've got a company that specializes in safety, and they'll come out and they'll train your crew, or you'll go into a, a classroom and they'll train you on fall protection and 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 how to you know suit up and in all types of uh, you know situations where fall protection is required. Do you guys have that down there? Yeah, I actually had to get recertified for Sprat safe practice. Uh, rope access technician mm-hmm. and I used to do a long time ago high rise window washing uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's the He's type done. of because I utilize the same you know all the rigs and stuff just the bang device $500 the harness is $600 yeah. the training class you know that's another what about 1200 bucks, but it's a week long and you only have to research. I think it's every two or three years. Uh, but yeah, for doing high rise stuff when I was in Atlanta, um, and hell, even some of these four, five, six story side of mountains, you know, where once you're on going from that peak going down, just to access, you know, a ten foot piece of siding that mm-hmm. you're looking down at, going, okay, I can spend out you know, a couple grand on getting guys with scaffolding and putting it all, taking it all Or for only, you know, one grand, I'll repel off the side of this massive cabin down the side of a mountain. <laughs> yeah. So that's where it comes into play with me. Um, again, it's mostly flying squirrels and bats, so it's going to be way up high. Uh, but I I felt the course was definitely worth it. You know, I'm going to be going to a bigger city as well. Um, but it paid its money back with the first job or two. Uh, yeah, I, I I haven't had the Sprat training yet, but I've got all of the other lift certifications, fall protection certification. But the reason why I haven't gone to the Sprat because it's the closest Sprat training is out in BC in the West Coast, um, and then it's about a week week course. So 
uh, for me to be away for that long, it just uh, it's hard for me to justify when I can send a couple technicians there and get that done. <laughs> so. Well, they, the same thing is also the uh, errata um, certification, and I believe yeah. I don't know what areas they you know, but you know, there's several of them out there. I think there's a Sprata site in in Calgary, Alberta, which is about a you know seven eight hour drive for me, but. Unless it's still a weak course, I believe. So yeah, they're and, all. Uh, I hate to all, say it, but Michigan oh. is really lax on any of that. What's that? You, I say Michigan is very lax on any of that. There's really no regulation. Um, it's called the uh, "fly by the seat of your pants" or "have common sense." <laughs> well, I'm serious. Um, I'm certified in, in respirators when I worked out at a cement plant, um, and, and we messed around with fly ash and stuff like that. So we learned about the gases and what have you, learned how to seal a respirator, that sort of thing. Um, but after that, there's there's nothing to regulate nothing really in Michigan. Oh. Yeah, I think as far as Georgia goes, it's about the same way. I did it more for personal benefit um, than anything else. Right. Uh, I don't think there, you know, when I was high-rise window washing, I had no certification. <laughs> my, my first day high-rise window washing, I was scared to death. Um, <laughs> but, you know, over the years of doing everything, uh, I felt it prudent to get that done and get that certification. I'm, that's where the money is, you know. The more more risk you take, more money you make. Uh, that or the jobs I've been doing. Anything else you want to tap on here? Or? I think I'm good. I, I just I just want to say that I think, you know, since I've joined the group, uh, you know, I've got a lot of value out of just networking with the other professionals in the wildlife uh, industry. It's uh, been a real blessing and an opportunity that I, you know, wouldn't, a lot of us probably wouldn't have, you know, be able to connect with other, other professionals, whether you're just starting out or you're a seasoned tech or whatnot. But I want to thank everybody very much for letting me plug in and, you know, ask, letting me ask questions and, you know, and, uh, I just really appreciate the, all the feedback that everybody gives and all the support. It's it's a really good group. Yeah, Will and I started. I started mine a long time ago, and Will's been in it about I think a year or maybe a little bit over. Um, I used to do it, and I mentioned this on other shows. I used to do it with Rob Russell. Uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with him, but he kind of started. At least I think he was the first one that started this. Um, podcast thing and also he had a page like Will has and I have and it that's all it was it's basically to share information uh, to get some of these people that aren't so uh, good at what they do to kind of make them look a little better to gain a little more money uh, safety aspects um, I know lately I've been seeing quite a few people with um, the 3M I call them cloth respirators in an attic and I I don't know I just don't you know they're not going to live long <laughs> but anyways uh, to, we, we, that's what we want to do is to teach safety uh, teach I guess you'd say how to do it right 
Uh, yeah, you can go to a Nicola class. You can go to a um, Madka class. You can go to uh, any of these guys that have these classes. But, you know, who else is going to instill this into, you know, the operator? If it isn't the owner, you know, looking after the, the worker, then, you know, the bottom line is, is they have nothing to stand on. So that's why we do our, our group thing here with the podcast. That's why we do our pages, uh, and we'd like to get other people in. I mean, I couldn't believe the other day there was a guy from, I believe it was Australia, said that he had uh, he was using Jim Comstock's trap. And Jim <laughs> even was like, really? And I think he was from Spain, not Australia. But, uh, I mean, it just goes to show you how far we're reaching out, you know. So it doesn't matter where you live uh, or whatever, whatever nationality you are. Uh, we all talk the same. Yeah. How many how many listeners have we got on tonight, guys? Well, um, earlier there was eleven, and now I all I see is two besides uh, the two guests and myself. So um, a lot of times, when Richard stopped talking. They all. Uh... Um, a lot of times we don't get a lot of folks on the the original podcast, but there is a lot of them that come and talk or come and listen in after the fact. I don't know if they're afraid they're going to get asked a question or whatever, but we don't pressure anybody into anything. Uh, if you want to ask a question, I mean, like I always said, the stupidest question is the one that's not asked. So. And, and basically, even the guys that's been in it for years, uh, this is I'm coming up on my 16th year. Uh, I do everything from beaver work to bats, flying squirrels, uh, you name it. And um, but anyways, uh, I'm open to answer anybody's question. I don't know it all, but the the bottom line is, you know, I try to help who I can, and that's why we're here. Excellent. So most of all, I'd like to thank the both of you for making this show possible. Um, I'm sure there's some people going to collect some things off and some, you know, are just going to listen to it and say, oh, that was just a bunch of hoopla, you know. But uh, each his own, you know. Uh, Will wanted me to thank you uh, himself, you know, wanted me to thank you for him. So anyways, um, I guess we'll call it a show. We got... Uh, an hour and 40 minutes or so in, so if, if you want to put in some last words, go ahead. If not, we'll conclude the show. Uh, I think I'm good. I got to hit the road. I got a two-hour drive ahead of me. I got to go to the next city over, and uh, I got three big meetings tomorrow, and I got to check three trap sites, so uh, I'm going to I'm gonna skedaddle here. And again, thanks again, guys. I appreciate uh, you inviting me, and uh, it's been a, been a great opportunity. Thank you. Yep, you're welcome. Thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks for chatting, Richard. You bet. Take care, guys. God bless. Yeah, I'd like to well, thank Keith. you and Will for letting me on the show as well. And um, hey. yeah, if you ever want to chat again, let me know. Okay, anytime. Uh, I'm sure we're due for either bats or something com- coming up. Um, I think our next show, uh, if the guy gets a hold of me, it, it's going to be on insurance. He's an insurance adjuster, so if we can get it put together. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. that, that'll put me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
We're going to conclude the show. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.